0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Psalm 68. Well, just two verses, verse 5 and 6. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity and the rebellious dwell in a dry land, particularly that part of verse 6. God sets the solitary in families. Over these past, I suppose, about 15 years or so, uh, the phenomenon which is social media uh, has swept the world uh, the amount of people that uses social media today is astronomical and you know that social media for those of you perhaps who don 't know it is a way to connect to one another via the internet and there 's various platforms and it 's generally either by by a simple message that you type out or a photograph or a video or something. <laughs> of such like. And to kind of give you an idea of the scale of this, uh, Facebook currently has 2.2 billion subscribers. YouTube has one and a half billion subscribers. WhatsApp, which is very, very uh, loved in Latin America especially, uh, they have one and a half billion subscribers also. And Instagram and Snapchat, which younger people especially like, Instagram has 800 million active users. 32% of all internet users are on Instagram. And every single day on Instagram alone, 95 million photographs are uploaded each day. Snapchat, 3 billion. 3 billion snaps are uploaded every single day on Snapchat. 400 million messages are put on Snapchat. 80% of all social media is done via our mobile phones. And so it is a way of connecting. And it has taken the world by storm, not to mention Twitter or LinkedIn or a host of other platforms that are used Daily as well. President Trump is very fond of Twitter. He tweets continually at three in the morning and has his government up in arms because they don't know what he's going to say next. But I heard him saying, but that's my way of reaching to the masses. These millions of people that tune into his Twitter feed. Now, whatever you may think of the rights or wrongs or the benefits or disadvantages. Or the good or the bad of social media. Uh, I think that the success of it, and it is extremely successful, I think the success of it is put down to this innate, inbuilt, God given desire that every one of us have to feel a sense of belonging, to feel needed or valued or want it, that our opinions count for something, that what we put on there, that somebody's going to read that and like it or whatever because we we feel validated, we have some identity if we do that. And I think that's the, the issue when it comes to social media. I think that's why, apart from the fact that it's an easy way to communicate, but I think underlying all of that is this need to feel a part of that you belong to a group or something that we connect with we are we are made to connect God sets the solitary in families we're made to make connection whenever people go to prison particularly if it's a prison where there's lots of gangs uh, no matter how tough someone is if they go to prison there's there's a fear because they don't know what they're getting into particularly the first time and so there's a natural tendency to gravitate towards some group or other and i mean if if it's a, a gang related prison for instance say in america somewhere then you'll find that blacks gravitate towards blacks latinos towards latinos whites towards if there's any white supremacist groups in there they'll gravitate towards them let that be right or let it be wrong but they feel I need to be identified with somebody in here. I need the camaraderie. I need the protection. I need to be part of. I need to belong. This is going to be my family for the next number of years. So I need to get hooked into them. Uh, we, we see this in our everyday lives, for instance. We, we join clubs and fraternities. And, uh, you know, we, we, we like to join things. There's swimming clubs, there's slimming clubs, there's bikers, there's hikers, you know, there's elderly, there's walks you can do up mountains. There's groups of people do that. Raymond Clark there loves doing that. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff out there that you can join. And, and church, for instance, in, in church there's, there's groups. There's women's meetings, there's men's meetings, there's home group, there's all kinds of things. There's things for kids because we all have that innate, inbuilt built god-given desire to feel that we belong some people when they're bereaved it's a great help to them if they join a bereavement group there's groups for those who are recovering from drugs or alcohol or all kinds of things gambling whatever and so they get they get tapped into that and feel that somebody here understands me this is the group i belong to I identify with this group Church, God made church to be a family, his family. And I think underlying all of this is that God wants us to belong to him. That's the core vital issue of it all, that almighty God created us to belong to him that he would be our father in heaven, that we would be his family. The apostle Paul talks about the household of God, the family of God. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's wonderful. And God made, that's the way we're wired. God made us that way. And and if we don't find that God-given connection with him that he wants, then our life is incomplete. The old saying is that there's a God-shaped vacuum within each one of us that only God can fill. And he wants us to be a uh, part of that. God sets the solitary in families. You remember in the Old Testament, you remember when God raised up Israel and how he made them into tribes. And in the tribes, there was families, clans. And they carried that tribal name throughout their history. And they belonged to certain families within that tribal group. And it's very, very important. Whenever I was in the Philippines a couple of weeks ago, uh, particularly in the northern part where we were in Baguio, uh, the, the Agurut people are, a, I suppose like the Aboriginals were, in, uh, in Australia, you know, the first, the first in the land, as it were. And they're very, very proud of that. And they have a very, very distinct uh, style of their own. And when you go there, you can see it, even in their furnishings, in their dress, even in their appearance. And they're very proud of that. That's them. That's who they are. They're the Highland people. And if you're down there in Manila, that's the lowland people. And there's a very big difference between the two. And it's like that, I suppose, all over, isn't it? Uh, And and we gravitate towards those that that we feel that we're part of and they're part of us and so forth. But I think this is because God has put this in our hearts, this feeling of the need to belong. Was it simply that we just get along, that we work together, that perhaps that we fall in love and maybe get married and who knows, maybe even have children. Or maybe that we... That we go into business together. That we start something together. That we have common interests. And I think all of those things are good for us, and I think they're good for society. But I think the core reason, the vital reason, is because God wants us to know that we belong to him. I think this is at the very heart of things. In John 17, where Jesus prays that great prayer, In John 17, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may also glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth, I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Let's just stop a moment. In this prayer, Jesus begins with this passion, this passion to be reunited with the Father again. To have that glory with him that he had before the world even began he had come to do the work the work was now finished and he just was bursting with passion waiting to go back to be with the father he knew of course the disciples wouldn't want that and they didn't but he says it's expedient that I go away for your sakes if I don't go away the Holy Spirit will not come But he really, really wanted to be back with the Father, back with his family, as it were, because the Godhead is a family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. That's his disciples. They are yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given them the words which you have given me, and they have received them. And have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you have sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the word, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them themselves. I've given them your word, and the word has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Now note this, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, isn't it? That they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may be made perfect and one, and that the word may know that you have sent me and have loved me as you have loved them. Jesus is praying, not only that we'll be one with him and the Father, mystically, supernaturally, but that will be one with each other in him. And that is his great prayer because he's very conscious that we need each other, that we belong to each other, that we're part of his body and that we belong together. And this is the wonderful thing about church. This is one of the reasons why God instituted church because we're the body of Christ and we belong together. And so one of the greatest things that Jesus has given us as believers is our confidence and assurance that we belong to God, that God is our father, that we are his family, that we're heirs and we're joint heirs with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In him, Paul says, we live and we move and we have our being. No matter where you go in the world, Africa, India, Philippines... America, Canada, when you are in among God's people, you are at home. You mightn't even understand their language. You mightn't understand whenever we go to the Ukraine and they sing in Russian. We only know a few words. We don't understand it. Sometimes we recognize the tune because it's the same songs we sing, but we don't understand the words. But it doesn't matter because they're our family and we're their family and we're together in one. And we embrace each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the way that God intended us to be. Now, having said all of that, in this life, you will experience rejection. Rejection. There's going to come some point or other where you will be shunned, (laughs) disenfranchised, cut off. It may be a friend. It may be somebody you have known for years. And for whatever reason, something has happened. And they no longer want to be with you. And they reject you. And if they saw you coming, they would walk on the other side of the street to avoid you. And that happens. And sometimes we don't understand what in the world's going on. That's happened to me. It's happened to you, I'm sure. Will you scratch your head and say, What did I ever do to that person? <laughs> Why are they doing this? And sometimes you never know. Sometimes they don't even know either. But that's what happens sometimes. It could be a family member, it could be a husband, it could be a wife could be a brother, could be a sister. It could even be a mother or a father. I was very blessed that I had a wonderful mother and father. But perhaps you couldn't say that. Maybe you're not in that position tonight. And maybe you felt that rejection, that shunning, not wanted people pushing you away. Rejection hurts. It can be devastating. The number one hurt in life is the death of a loved one. That's the number one trauma that a human being will experience. The second is divorce. I have never met anyone who's gone through divorce, and I know a lot of people who have. Relatives. I have never met anybody that's gone through divorce who hasn't felt hurt and a pain and a trauma. And that's why God hates it. Because it tears (coughs) us apart. Now, yes, in time, you can get over it. In time, we can give forgiveness. In time, things can change. But at the moment, at that time, it's devastating. The feeling of rejection... And some never recovers. Some goes back into a shell. (laughs) And and they pull the drawbridge up. And they pull the curtains down. I'm mixing metaphors here. But you know what I mean. Uh, And they they put up the fences. And as we often say, when you put up fences, you fence out more than you're fencing in. And they go through life and they don't want to ever be hurt again. So they don't want to trust anybody. They want to give their love to anybody because they don't want to hurt again but it's no way to live. And we can't really live life to the full that way. can't be done. Because we're made to connect. The psalmist certainly knew what rejection was. His own son Absalom turned against him and wanted to steal his very throne from him. And to make matters worse, Hethophel his trusted confidant for years, took sides with Absalom and became a traitor to David. And, and you can sense that that pain and hurt in Psalm 55, 12 to 14. This is what he says. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you a man my equal, my companion, and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. And you can sense his his hurt that Ahithophel turned against him. In Psalm 27 and 10, when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. I've never had that experience, but maybe you've had. I know people who has have that experience. And it's painful. But how you handle it can make all the difference. David said, even if my father and mother turn against me, the Lord will take care of me. I'm part of his family and he'll look after me. Proverbs 18:24. there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Friendships are important, aren't they? You know, the reality is, and this is, goes for all of us, in your lifetime, you will have very, very few true blue, real close friends that you can count on when the chips are dying in a lifetime. And stuff happens. And sometimes we have to fight to maintain our friendships because we need them. Because we're not going to have many in this life. So those that we do have is important. Amen? So we need to nurture them. Jesus... understood this perfectly well. Isaiah 53, and you know it so well. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. When Jesus needed his disciples the most, with the exception of John, every one of them, turned and ran and left him to be tried in a kangaroo court. Every one of them. Even the boldest and the bravest among them brazenly denied that he ever even knew him. Jesus, of course, told Peter he would do that before the rooster would crow. But it must have hurt him. Even knowing that, when Jesus turned around and looked at Peter, it certainly hurt Peter, didn't it? He ran away crying. But it must have hurt the master. He was despised. We did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Ah. Who among us could understand that? Smitten by God and afflicted. But here's the reason. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And at that moment on Calvary, horror of all horrors, worse than the physical suffering he was enduring, was when the Father turned away from him. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who can plumb the depths of that? Certainly not me. In that moment, the one he loved the most, the one who loved him the most, because he was our sin-bearer, and the father had to turn away and let him suffer our sins on that cross. He even turned to son of to hide the anguish and the pain. And at that moment, he felt forsaken, even by his father. So, nobody can go to Jesus and say, You don't know how I feel. You don't know what they did to me. Oh, yes, He does. <coughs> you don't know that person who no longer speaks to me, how that feels. Oh, yes, He does. You have no idea what it's like when your father and mother turn against you. Yes, He does. And He suffered that for us. He went through that on our behalf the Bible says that Jesus is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance he doesn't want one single soul to face God's rejection not one not willing that any should perish but all should come to repentance he never wants a human being to feel that God has rejected him And God one day will reject many people. Will have to. Because all of their life they rejected him. But he doesn't want them to feel that. He felt that for us. He felt that for us. Maybe that's why he can say, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you even unto the end. I don't want you ever to feel that I've rejected you. Not wonderful for a child of God to know. Jesus is not going to reject us. There may be times He'll be displeased. Times you'll have to chastise. but he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He'll love us even unto the end. I, I love this song. It's, it's an old hymn that's been sung now in contemporary style, but I suppose a lot of young people doesn't know it's an old hymn. It's written by Charity Lees Bancroft. She was born in 1860 in Dublin. She was a daughter of a church of Iron rector in County Tyrone. And she was just 19 when she wrote this. And you'll recognize it because we sing it sometimes. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied Hallelujah. to look on him and pardon me. Hallelujah. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with him I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. That's some song for a 19-year-old, isn't it? That's somebody who knew Christ intimately and passionately. This question of belonging, uh, Paul deals with that in Romans 8, where he talks about Abba Father. That very intimate, personal, family name, Abba Father. When Jesus. Prayed. No wonder the disciples says, Lord, teach us to pray. Because Jesus prayed to his Father, as his Father. The Jew knew God as the Father of Israel, the Father of creation. But Jesus prayed, when you pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven. He made it so personal. He said, Lord, teach us to pray. They'd never prayed that way before. And Paul picks up on that and talks about us saying, Abba, Father. And in Romans chapter 8, and we're almost closed, we're almost finished. Oh, hold on a minute. Some wee child gave me this out of Sunday school that stuck to my Bible. Oh, I'm tearing my Bible here. So we love heart. <laughs> Pastors gets all kinds of things from Sunday school. Uh, verse 31, Romans eight. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long, we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things... Once you become a child of God, nothing in heaven or on earth or below the earth can separate you from his love. His love is eternal, everlasting, non-ending glory to God. And that's the family that we belong to. Paul speaks a lot in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12, about the body, the body, and how the body is all made up of different parts, but it's all one body. And we can't say, I don't need you, I don't need you, I don't need you, because we all need each other if we're all part of the same body. Let me close with this. I'm sure I've told you this before. Two porcupines in the frozen wastes of Canada They were perishing they decided to come together when they came together those quills were digging into each other and so they separated but then they were freezing again so they came together again and those quills were jagging them (laughs) same story same ending they needed each other but they needled each other and we need each other, but sometimes we needle each other, don't we? And if we could do with less needling and more needing, it would be better, wouldn't it? You remember the wee story I told you years ago about, you know, the peanut strip used to be in the paper, and Lucy and Peanuts, and Lucy said to Peanuts, she says, Peanuts, sometimes she says, she says, I could just give you a great big hug. And then she says, there's other times you just bug me. And Peanut says, well, that's who I am. He says, sometimes I'm huggable, sometimes I'm buggable. <laughs> and that's what we're like, isn't it? Sometimes we're lovely and warm and huggable, and sometimes we're buggable. And we bug the life out of each other. We need each other, but we need each other. But we're the family of God tonight. We're the family of God. And some of us has been family in here a very, very long time. And sometimes we hugged each other and sometimes we bugged each other. We need each other and sometimes we needed each other. But listen what? We're still here. We're still the family. And we're still the family of God. Amen? Amen. And God spares us will be that way till Jesus comes or calls. Amen? Because we don't have many friends. So you need to keep them. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you made us part of your family. We thank you that we are the sons and daughters of God. We thank you that you brought us into your banqueting house and your banner over us is your love. And so we bless you for this tonight. Thank you, Lord, for making us feel a part of, belonging to, that we matter to you and we matter to each other. And so we give you glory and we thank you for your grace in our lives every day. And Lord, help us, Lord, in those times, Lord, when we bug and we needle, help us, Lord, to stop that and to love one another as you love us. So we give you blessing for that. We bless you and we thank you for your goodness in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.